KVOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio just wrapped up our annual fall membership drive. Support from listeners like you helped us reach our goal, gain new members, and prepared us to bring you more organic, homegrown, fresh-off-the-vine community radio. Thanks to all those who donated during this drive, and thanks to those who listened in. Stay tuned for more. This is Cesar Chavez. You're listening to KBOO, listener-sponsored radio. To you, the nine-to-fiver, just making your way home. To you, the all-night driver, out in your cab alone. To you, waiting for lunch break, as the minutes drag so slow. Take courage, turn the volume up, it's Labor Radio. Good evening and welcome to Labor Radio of the Working Class, by the Working Class, for the Working Class. I'm your host, Rachel Haynes. My co-host, Stephen Siegel, couldn't join us today. This is broadcasting around the world from Portland, Oregon. Both of us are public school teachers and host every second Monday of the month, where we typically interview educators and talk about what's going on in their schools and in their unions. Joining us today is Darshan Gill and Chris Schweizer. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay. So, please tell us about your teaching background and experience. Darshan Preet, let's start with you. Um, I have been a teacher now for just over 10 years. Um, I've always taught some sort of science, and I've taught um, middle school. I taught at a K-8 and now I teach high school. So I've literally seen every grade level. And you, Chris? Hey, yeah, um, I am also a science teacher. Um, my background is in biochemistry, but I've taught all the subjects pretty much at the high school level um, in the last five years of working at Roosevelt. And right now I teach chemistry and chemistry for newcomer students who are uh, new to America in the last two years. Okay, and can you tell us um, what role you play in the union? Um, I can start again. So um, I've been a union rep for the past several years, but this year I'm just um, participating in the contract action team, which has been working um, to make sure that we get the contract that our families, students, and ourselves deserve. Yeah, and I'm the head union rep at Roosevelt High School. I'm also co-lead of the contract action team at our school, and I'm a zone um, captain, so kind of supporting organizing at schools throughout like the central, inner east side um, part of Portland. Great. So at the end of October, PAT members voted overwhelmingly to strike. 93% of members voted and 99% voted to authorize a strike. How did PAT build momentum among members to get to that historic vote? When did that organizing begin? Chris, you want to take that one? Yeah. So um, really, it began with the election of our new leadership, um, our president, Angela Bonilla, and our vice president, Jackie Dixon. Um, We knew we were going into a bargaining year um, when they started their leadership. And they started with 
kind of polling members on paper about issues that were important to them and also having listening sessions for the community where community members, um, especially families, were invited to kind of talk about what they wanted to see at their kid's school. And kind of that that community focus and member focus really started off the the organizing um, and kind of built up our our platform that the campaign was based around. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, PAT is bargaining around several key issues, and they've made it clear that they must be addressed in the new contract. So let's talk in more detail about some of the big issues. Um, and I'd love to hear your personal experience with some of these issues, just so our listeners can get a real sense of how these impact our daily lives in the classroom. Let's start with um, talking about class size caps. Why is this so important? And what's been your experience with large class sizes? Well, you cannot serve um, every student when you can't even see them all because your classroom's so packed. Um, there's been, and I'm not alone in this, there are times where you do, literally do not have enough seats in your classroom for all the students on your roster. Um, so number is one part of it, but also the diversity of needs has never been greater. And unless you've taught through the pandemic and post-pandemic, even if you've been in the classroom, I do not think you understand how far apart kids of the same age right now are in terms of their needs, not just academically, but like socially. We told them to go online and talk to no one in person. And then we just slammed them back into school without any sort of scaffold on how to do this in person again. And we're acting like they know what it's like for us who grew up, you know, during a time where you were in person all the time. So when we keep going like, okay, now we're back to normal, we're just gaslighting the kids. And it's horrible to be doing that with so many of them in your room at the same time. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, just to add on, um, my first year as a teacher was the year that the pandemic started. So I feel like I've just been kind of riding, riding the chaos the whole time. And, uh, you know, I've had class sizes anywhere from 13 to 32, and it just makes a world of difference being able to give individualized feedback, individualized attention, um, and that, that diversity of need, like you can plan for it a lot better if there's less kids. Cause you know, with every, every extra kid, like it's great. You want to welcome, you want to welcome them. You want to support them, but over a certain number, just actually being able to anticipate what they need, how how the lesson you're trying to teach will be received, or if they're able to engage with it. Um, family communication is a lot more important now to like make sure you have a strong connection with with their caregiver. At the high school level, you know we have a lot of students, so that's that's pretty tricky. And just getting up into those bigger classes, it just becomes impossible to really serve our students. Which, you know, it really hurts because it's like you we take this really seriously. And, you know, a lot of times we're, we're that direct link. So, you know, it's kind of like it can be a numbers game for the district. Um, but for us, it's, it's very personal, you know, and it, it, we really feel it when we can't serve our students' needs. And so I feel like you've 
you've addressed this, but just to make it very clear, why doesn't the current overage pay that's in our contract address this issue? Well, even if you give us more money, it does not create more capacity within, within us. Like we are already operating at max capacity all day, every day. Our buildings are packed, our classrooms are packed, our hallways are packed. Even my storage room, which is attached to my science classroom, has kids in it just needing a place to get away from everyone else. They would rather sit next to a bucket of organs than go sit in the hallway sometimes just because that's where they can find a moment of peace. Um, so you can give me all the additional funds you want, but I can't create that space and peace for that kid. Like I simply do not have the capacity, but the district does have the capacity to change that. So it's on them at this point. The money um, going into me directly to fix it does not make any sense. Like we're telling you that we just need to reduce the class sizes. Um, if you can do that, then great. I don't need the additional funds because I won't have additional kids and I can serve the kids in front of me the way I know I can when I'm properly supported. Yeah. And just, just to add on to that, um, uh, from the union rep side, um, we've uncovered that they systematically also deny people their overage payments. So kind of the district strategy, you know, I have personally have a source that was part of some of the dis discussions at the district level. And they basically said, you know, our superintendent said, hey, it's always better to pay these overages than to hire more teachers because that would be a lot more expensive. So that kind of shows it's really all about the money for them. But then going past that, we, we've literally found through information requests that they have denied a lot of people money that's due to them. And, you know, I filed a grievance over this and I got a settlement for the teachers because the district was clearly in the wrong. But what they'll do is they'll say for the for this educator to get paid, you have to basically say it's not precedent setting and that, you know, it's not they're trying to whittle us down on a case by case basis, like whittle down our time and energy as union reps just to get people there, you know, seven hundred dollars, thousand dollars instead of just paying people what they're owed. So, I mean, I think that speaks a lot to the mindset in the central office and how they think about us. Yeah, um, that's that's very clear. So uh, connected to this class size is planning time. Um, why is this so important? And what would more planning time do for you and your teaching? It's the quality of instruction we're able to provide when we have the students in front of us is directly impacted by how much time we're given to prepare. It makes so much sense that it feels wild to me that I even have to say it, you know? I don't know how I'm supposed to be prepared when I don't have time to be prepared, especially when you're packing my classes with this many kids. To properly serve that many different needs, I need time. And I know that their expectation is that I do this work unpaid and on my own time. That is what this is built on. And to be totally fair, I've helped sustain that by um, putting myself last, like a lot of teachers do. And even if you are willing to do that, which we shouldn't, but even if you're willing to do that, at a certain point, you break. No one can sustain it at this level. Um, so if we are given the proper planning time, we can actually do our job at our job and come in well rested and well cared for ourselves so we can care for our kids appropriately. Yeah, I mean... That, that kind of says it all. And, you know, it's just such a 
mix of what what people get um, in our district. Like for instance, you know, I was assigned to teach a class for newcomers um, called chemistry for newcomers, but I was given no curriculum whatsoever. So I'm being asked to meet, you know, the needs of students who have the, some of the least, you know, least economic resources and are some of the most marginalized students in our district. I'm not really, I'm not given any extra release time to plan for that. I'm not given any curriculum. So that of course leads to me working outside of my contract hours, like constantly, um, because supporting those kids is super important. And again, it falls to us. We're like, we are the people that meet our students every day um, and see, you know, we know what it takes and that's all we're asking for. I think if I could, oh, go ahead, Darshan Preet. I think one thing that if, unless you're a teacher, you may not understand and is really critical is that it's not like we all teach one subject at the same grade level for multiple years and I can just pull out my lesson plans from the last year. Um, within my time in this district, I have taught earth science, I've taught design and modeling, I've taught a STEM lab class, I have taught junior physics, I have taught physics for newcomers, I've taught human body systems, I've taught biomedical innovations, and I've only worked in this district for eight years. Um, and those are all different grade levels and three different schools. Um, I've been given curriculum. I've been told that there's no funding left for the curriculum I got used to. I've been given supplies. I've been told now I have to share supplies. I've been told here's some funding for supplies, but you have to figure out how to use the funding appropriately to get the supplies. Um, so it's not a case of like, oh, I built it up my first year and now I'm good to go. Every year it's different. I mean, the kids are different too. But every year it's different in ways that unless I think you've seen what it's like to be a teacher, um, you may not understand. You might just be like, oh, she just teaches science every year. But it's like the difference between, between teaching a class that has like animal dissections and one that's um, all about using computers to design something like that all kind of falls within that science STEM category. And it takes a hugely different skill set from me. and. I mean, I'm willing to put in the work, but I need the time to put in the work. Yeah, and and both of you are high school teachers. And when we think about elementary teachers, they're teaching every subject every day. And so to, and like, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on being responsive to the students in our class. So if we're actually looking at what do these individual students need? Where do they need support? And, <clears throat> if we aren't able to like even spend time looking at assessments and really evaluating and deciding how to sort of fill in those holes or repractice or, um, you know, increase skills in certain areas, like there, there has to be time in order to do that. Um, and so I think the points you're making are just so important for our listeners to understand. If you're just joining us, you're listening to KBOO, KBOO Portland, and this is Labor Radio. Okay, um, we've talked uh, a lot about class size and planning time, um, and I'd like to hear about um, some of the health and safety issues that the union is bargaining for. Um, what specifically is PAT asking the district to address and what, what has been your experience with building safety? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty basic, reasonable stuff. You know, we want buildings that are free of rodents and mold 
and that are within, you know, a temperature that students can actually learn, you know, focus and feel comfortable and and be in a receptive place to learn. Um, You know, for my end, I I teach at Roosevelt High School, which was remodeled in 2016. And it was one of the, it was the first high school actually in our district that received a remodel. And despite that, our HVAC system still doesn't work. Um, our elevators are constantly broken. You know, we have we have a intensive skills program and several students in wheelchairs um, who can't you know move move up and down the levels to access their education. And uh, you know, I just I just see the ways that this money was misappropriated um, and misspent on shoddy work without any accountability. And then I know you know. Darshan Preet, I think you can speak more to like the older buildings that haven't received a remodel and what it's like there. Absolutely. Um, So I taught at George Middle School, which is one of the feeders for Roosevelt High School. Um, And that building is out in St. John's. And it, I, I, I was shocked, honestly, like when I first started working there about how normalized it was that it was just falling apart. Um, I taught in the class, this classroom that I think used to be like the old shop room or shop class. And so the insulation there is not great. Um, And I remember as we got closer to the summers, I would literally just have to turn off the lights and play a movie because my room was so hot. It was like swampy almost. Um, And this was also when we weren't able to drink the water because of the lead. And so kids were just like filling up bottles of water from those uh, water um, containers that they brought out, um, water cooler, sorry. And so when those would run out, then we had to go get more water to put in there so the kids could have not leaded water to drink in my swampy room. And like, at what point in that scenario am I supposed to teach content, like especially rigorous content? Like it was just genuinely um, like a health issue at that point to be like, let me not dehydrate these children and let me not give them lead filled water to get through the day. Um, But I saw that at George and now at McDaniel, which is the most recently renovated high school. Well, one of the ones, and it is, it's a very nice building. Um, But we learned a lot about what we needed to keep an eye on from the previously renovated high schools because we saw what a shoddy job was done at other places. And unfortunately, Roosevelt was one of the ones that we learned a lot from. And we were like, hey, we knew this was falling apart. This stopped working. This did not serve kids. Let's make sure we're not doing that here. And we really had to fight, of course, on our own time um, after we've already taught a full day to be like, can we please not keep misspending funds and creating scenarios that we know are not going to actually do what we need for our kids? And even at McDaniel, we already have sections of the school where the heat and the AC do not work. Um, And we've put in work orders, nothing happens, but man, do they love to show it off as a nicely renovated high school. Um, So in terms of... um student support. We've talked a bit about the the range of needs that can be seen in, in individual classrooms each year. What student needs are not being met with the status quo? What additional supports do students need? And, and I think as part of this, I would like you to address special education and 
um, mismanagement uh, on PPS's part of, of special education? What are some of the failures you see in that area as well? Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole uh, hour-long special of labor radio on this topic. Um, for special education, you know, uh, one of the biggest pieces is the understaffing and underpay of uh, paraprofessionals who heavily support um, special education. And, you know, they've been chronically underpaid for so long and under undertrained. Um, they don't really receive any training. They fought really hard to get one day of training before they start the job, which is still not enough to meet the complex needs of the students that they're serving. Um, and that lack of support and understaffing has then led to, you know, the overwork of teachers, of course, and uh, the turnover rate and burnout rate is really high. Um, a lot of teachers just don't have what they need to, to serve the needs of special education students. Um, this leads to vacancies, which go unfilled um, for long periods of time. And it's kind of a vicious cycle we're in that really is going to require really, really, really dramatic um, action to fix. I also just want to flag that, you know, we started to put up a little bit better of a safety net during COVID um, with the child tax credit, which actually decreased child poverty pretty significantly. And that got taken away. I don't know why, but they put a expiration date on it. So child poverty has actually gone up. Like things are not returning to normal. They're actually getting worse for kids. And at the same time, we're taking taking supports away. Like in my building, for instance, a social worker was unassigned. We had two so social workers and one's job got yanked. Um, so while kids' needs are actually increasing, we're we're taking support away. Yeah, everything that Chris said and so much more. I think people would be truly horrified if they really saw um, the state that our, I mean, like that everything is in, but how we underserve our most vulnerable students. Um, the paraprofessionals point is an excellent one. The disrespect that such an important profession gets that if that foundation is there, like the whole school feels it. And when it's not, um, we all struggle to meet needs that we are legally mandated to meet, by the way. Like these children have written plans that we're supposed to follow, but it's really difficult to follow these individualized plans when we don't have the capacity to look through all of them on our own and understand how we're supposed to modify or accommodate. Like, And our colleagues who um, would be the case managers for those students, um, they don't have the time either because they're so overloaded. And there's other members like speech language pathologists who also support these students. And those members are spread across schools so they don't stay committed to a single community. They're driving all over the place trying to meet the needs of kids um, who eventually, you know, stop not like stop coming to class because it's embarrassing to be falling behind and not know what to do. And you can't find your person in the building because they're at a different school and you don't know whose schedule is what and where anyone's located because the buildings are packed and we're sharing classrooms. Um, so the whole system is just set up in a way that makes no sense. And I imagine it's even more challenging when you already have a learning difference and school is difficult for you from the start. I also think that um, para position is so important to raise up because I know that um, a lot of times students that need one-on-one -on -one support, especially in the elementary grades, are not are are actually directed at IEP meetings not to write that down on the IEP because it's a 
financial decision. It's not a decision based on what the child needs um, or the support that's necessary. And so if a student who really would benefit greatly and be able to access the classroom and the content with a one-on-one aid is denied one, that means they aren't able to access and they aren't able to be as successful in the classroom. And it's totally illegal to make a decision based on uh, a funding priority rather than student need. Um, So I think that's really important for people to understand. Uh, So we don't have very much time left, but I would like to talk about this historic strike that PAT is on. Um, And You've been out for seven days so far. What's it been like? What are the collective actions members have engaged in? What support that you're seeing from other unions, students, families? Uh, what's it feel like on the line? I know I'm throwing a lot of questions, so pick pick the ones that most resonate with you and let's hear it. Um, being on strike is absolutely the right thing to do. And it's also really hard. Um, to maintain momentum and to be out there in the cold and to be going without our salaries and know that our kids are at home when they should be in the classrooms with us. It's really, really hard. And we did not take this decision lightly. And at this point, I will say that the frustration is strongly building that we're not making more movement towards reopening schools um, in terms of what the district is bringing to the bargaining table. However, I have felt the community support every single day people are really strongly behind us and it feels good to be doing the right thing with our community. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, so I'm a, my role in the strike is driving around to sites across the city um, and supporting the picket lines there. So I get to see a range of sites and, you know, people are pretty, pretty fed up, um, pretty upset with the lack of good faith by the district, but also community support is still strong. Um, and we're not going to stop. We're not going to give up. We're not going to bend. We're not going to break until management comes to their senses and until the school board actually directs them to bargain. Um, For anyone that wants to support us, that hasn't supported us yet, I would say make it out to a picket line. Um, If we're still out, this is airing today, Monday, um, but if we're still on strike Tuesday, Wednesday, come out, show support, show love, tell teachers, all kinds of educators that you support them. And there's also a lot of resources at the union website, pdxteachers.org. Um, a lot of different ways you can support if you can't make it out to a picket line. All right, y'all. We're going to get a special performance. You might have already seen this, but this time we got a beat. Uh, this is a special song done by our own executive board, Beyond You. Make sure you fill this okay, out. And y'all, make sure you fill out this vote of no confidence before you leave. All right, DJ Grievance, go ahead and play that track, please. Asbestos in the ceiling and a rat or two. Letters in the water, but they buy balloons. All scripted, can PD. End up in the closet with a simulcast B. Friends are generous, nepotism evidence. Map created by PPS. It's the labor of black and brown tests that generate the wealth of GG's bonus checks. Class size is 33. 
Are we people or just sardines? Do they care in the PEC? Fancy suits in the cool AC. Fail up like ABC. Top down and then they leave. BIPOC to build white dreams. Internalized racism ain't my thing. No contract, no paper, no letter. Can make Guadalupe do better. The power we make as a lever is that solidarity forever. It's that solidarity forever. It's that solidarity forever. The power we make as a lever is that solidarity forever. No contract, no paper, no letter can make Guadalupe do better. The power we make as a lever is that solidarity forever. It's that solidarity forever. It's that solidarity forever. The power we make as a lever is that solidarity forever. No contract, no paper, no letter can make Guadalupe do better. The power we make as a lever is that solidarity forever. It's that solidarity forever. It's that solidarity forever. The power we make as a lever is that solidarity forever. Who are we? Who are we? Who are we? Who are we? When I say union, you say strong union. Union. When I say union, you say power union. Union. When I say union, you say strong union. Union. When I say union, you say power union. Union. Thank you both so much. You know, I was out to eat last night and somebody saw me in my PAT sweatshirt and they were like, I almost wore mine tonight. And and it was another teacher. And we just had this like beautiful moment of, you know, love and support for each other and this struggle that we're in together. And it was really like amazing to feel that just in my day to day life. Um, I'm so glad that you could join us today, Darshan Preet and Chris on KBOO. Thank you to Jamie Partridge for helping us convert this to a radio-ready file. Thank you, audience, for tuning in tonight. This is Rachel Haynes. You've been listening to Labor Radio. Tune in next Monday and every Monday at 6 p.m. to catch another Labor Radio show. What's up, everybody? This is Goddess, this is Goddess and She, and you're tuning in to KBOO Portland. Holla to girl. This is KBOO Portland. You're listening.